Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Come on, can we thank God for 18 years of Awaken Church? Amen. It is great to be in the house. Well done, everybody, getting here. I remember, uh, like, San Diegans are so weird around weather, right? Because we never have any. <laughs> it's like, there's like a rain, the rain's coming. I remember this one meme, and it was like, uh, showed the street with like a, branch, a little branch in the middle of the street, and it's like, San Diego, we will rebuild, you know? It's like... So we're so weird, but I'm so glad you guys braved it and made it here today. Um, I walked into Awaken Church 17 years ago, so uh, about a year into uh, what was already happening. I was trying to get here sooner, but my wife didn't agree with the Holy Spirit or women preachers. So now she is a woman preacher. But, um, but I remember walking in here, I never had any... Um, desire to be a pastor, desire to be a leader in church or, or anything. But like Pastor Jenny was saying, this is a place that awakens purpose in people and it awakens what God has, um, what God's dreams for you are. Because I didn't know, I didn't have this dream, but God had this dream for me. And uh, if we can walk in God's dreams, that's the best dreams. And uh, so I just came and got on the parking team and wouldn't you know it, I'm standing in front of you today. 17, 18 years later, and uh, it's pretty its pretty crazy. I was telling the nine o'clock service, I'm, I'm up here sometimes preaching, and I'm looking at everybody going, why is everybody looking at me? Like, I'm having this dialogue. Why are they listening to me? And uh, and I know they're listening to God, but God has, has chosen to use me in, in a certain way, but God also has a plan for you. And uh, in this church, our desire is that God would awaken whatever it is in your life. And he has plans. So if your previous plan didn't work out, he's got another one. And, um, and he can take you as far as you're willing to go with him. Amen. Amen. I was praying over my house yesterday. Uh, we're, we're moving right now. So I was up there praying over it and just kind of like having one of those moments, like, who am I? Like, who prays against the weather? But we do at Awaken Church because Jesus did. And, uh, but I would have never even known to do that, you know, before I came here and I grew up in, in church. Um, but I don't know about you, but I'm not gonna let any storm, especially named Hillary, ruin my house. So, or my city. <clears throat> if your name's Hillary, I love you, but you know what I'm saying. Um, let me just pray. Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you that there is a supernatural protection um, over San Diego, over this city, over each and every person here. Father, I thank you for angels being deployed on our behalf. And God, we thank you that no storm will destroy what you are building, God. And we thank you that, that you are with us. We pray that you would do what you do today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. You can punch somebody on your way down. Unless they're pregnant. I got you, Lauren. 
It would be bad if your husband punched you while you were pregnant. That would be bad. But I did hear, I did hear that the uh, junior high camp was like off the hook, off the chain, amazing, supernatural things happening. And one of the things I love about this church and one of the things that I'm excited for my kids is that um, we believe in encountering God, not just like preaching a message or sharing information, but encountering God. And we were, I was with Pastor Jonathan Mack over the weekend, and there was a couple that was with, with us that we were talking to, and they were sharing about how their daughter was at, at junior high camp, and she called them and said that she had um, just received a prophetic word. <clears throat> and, um, and, and whoever was the leader that was prophesying over her um, was talking about a relationship that needed to be repaired and all these, all these different things. And the girl said that nobody knew any of that information. Like she didn't share that stuff. Um, and so when this person was prophesying over her, she was just bawling and literally got breakthrough and got restored. And um, I'm just so grateful that um, Pastor Jurgen and Leanne 18 years ago came over here and didn't listen to all the critics that said, don't start a church, the a Holy Spirit church. Um, because I know I've been healed. I know so many people in here have been healed, like Pastor Jenny was saying. But can you imagine? Like, I, I was just thinking about my life at 13. Like, if I encountered God at 13. And so I remember coming here going, my kids are going to grow up in this house. Because once you encounter God, you can't explain away that. Like, that was God in heaven coming down, sharing a word with this young lady. So it's just amazing what's happening um, in our church. And so I'm just so grateful for the youth team. I know they're over there having junior high right now, but I'm just so grateful for, for our team and our leaders. But this message I was gonna, I'm gonna speak to you this morning. Um, I, I spoke a version of it like five years ago, um, but knowing that today is gonna be our, our birthday, um, I wanted to share it today because it's kind of like a cultural thing about our, our church. And it comes from a, a uh, trip that I took in 2017 to Israel. It was our first Israel trip as a church. So my wife and I went with, you know, like 50 other people kind of to scope out the promised land for y'all. And we came back with a great report in Israel. And, um, but we went to all these significant places. Like we went to Mount Car Carmel where Elijah called down fire and executed 450 prophets of Baal. And we went to uh, Capernaum where Jesus performed a bunch of miracles, preached in synagogues and talked with his disciples. And you're literally walking where Jesus walked. Um, we sat on the steps where he was first reintroduced after his birth when he was 12 years old. Um, and he's like talking to the, to, the, to the religious people. And it's the time when Mary and Joseph lost the savior of the world for three days. And, uh, and then he comes back and he, and he says, they said, what were you doing? And, and one of my favorite scriptures, Jesus says, didn't you know I must be about my father's business? He says that and we were, we were standing there. We cruised on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus walked on water and calmed the storm. And um, I was really trying to find you guys the photo because when I went to the Sea of Galilee, I'm like, Jesus, I literally prayed this prayer. Like either I wanna walk on water or I want to see like a vision or like something. I want something, like a sign, like that would be cool. And um, so when we were there, I didn't see anything. But then when I got back, I was looking through my photos. And because I was like, you know, I don't know, 40-something at that point, um, I'm, you know, zooming in on the photos. And I look at this photo, and it was just of the sunset, I thought. But it literally, when you zoomed in, it looked exactly like a man walking on water. And it was just like, Jesus, like, bam, I got you, you know, like... 
That's cool. And, and I couldn't find it in my, in my phone because my phone only goes back to like 2020. Something happened in 2020. I don't know. But um, one day I'll bring it and I'll find it uh, hidden in iCloud somewhere. But um, we went to Mount Masada where King Herod had a palace and he uh, literally on the side of a cliff. Um, it, it was an ama- it's an amazing story, Mount Masada. And that's where they found in a cave, Ezekiel 37, where... Um, where Ezekiel said, Leo, let these, well, these dry bones live. And so it was pretty cool. We went to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus, um, if you remember before he went to the cross, said, Lord, not my will, your will be done. And he went to the cross and uh, that was on a Thursday. So I always say I'm thankful for the decision Jesus made on Thursday because that decision made Friday good because he ended up going to the cross. Um, and it was amazing because they, they said that the, the olive trees that are there are thousands of years old. So they would have been there when Jesus was there. Um, they have this rock where they said Jesus would have touched this rock, perhaps even bled on this rock. Because the Bible says that he was so distressed, he was sweating blood. And uh, Gethsemane actually means um, olive press. And so back in the day, they would have these large slabs of rock and they would crush these olives and then oil would come out. And so when you're there, you know, it's just a picture of Jesus taking on the sin of the world, the weight of the world, and, you know, crushing him and and coming out as, you know, drops of blood to redeem mankind. So it's just powerful when you're there and you're, you're, you're seeing what Jesus saw and you're, you're putting together all these different pieces. We went to the empty tomb um, where Jesus was laid and it was still empty. Amazingly enough, he's still not there. He is alive, and uh, which makes Christianity the only religion with a God that is alive and well. Um, <clears throat> it was amazing. We found out he was, he was buried and raised from the dead in a vineyard, which is like a winery. Because there was a wine press right outside where they would have made wine back in the, back in the day and it's sitting right there and uh, wine in the Bible is celebration, it's new life, it's, it's uh, communion, it's fellowship. And so we, it was kind of cool to know that Jesus was, was buried in a place of celebration and new life, you know, raised from the dead in, in, in a winery, in a, in a vineyard. Um, I think wine is a resurrected version of a dead grape, like a better version <laughs> of a dead grape. Um, and so, and Jesus came on the scene, if you remember, in his ministry as a winemaker, turning water to wine. That was his first miracle. And then it's like, here I am. <laughs> you know, I'm, he's the winemaker and, uh, and uh, at a party. And so it's just, it's just crazy when you start to think of all these things. It's, it's kind of cool. But seeing all of these different places was amazing. One of the interesting things was, is we had a guide named Shraga, a Jewish guy. And Shraga called us the Shragalites, like the Israelites. And he was taking us through Israel and and so we would go to all these different significant places like I was sharing, and he would, he would know all the references in the Bible, all the scriptures. He would read us the scriptures. He would tell us the story. He would tell us why it was significant, all these cool little tidbits that the Jews would know, but, you know, unless you're, like, kind of in that culture, you wouldn't really know. And so they, they, he was saying all of, these, all of these things, and he knew everything, but it didn't mean anything to him. He would read these scriptures, and it meant nothing to him. And there was like the most powerful things happening in the Bible and it meant nothing to him. So he could read the scriptures and tell the stories. Um, and, and I know that he liked us as a church. He liked us. He loves Pastor Jurgen. He calls Pastor Jurgen now his pastor. Um, but, but that was the first time we had met. And I know that he probably thought we were foolish. 
because we've given our life to a God, to a Messiah that he doesn't believe has come yet because they're still waiting for the Messiah in the Jewish uh, religion. And so um, he would have thought we were fools. The Bible says that if you don't know God, that this book is foolishness to you. And so I'm sure he's looking at us going, man, I can't believe these people would have done something like that. And the reason that the words that he was saying and the scriptures that he was reading didn't mean anything to him is because he didn't believe them. And so sometimes the word of God isn't enough for you. You have to believe the word of God or hopefully somebody around you believes in the word of God if you wanna get your, your breakthrough. Um, but there were a few times where Pastor Jurgen would be sharing something really powerful maybe in the Garden of Gethsemane or, or when we were at the tomb, the garden tomb, and you would see Shraga um, tearing up and starting to cry. And it was almost like his spirit was connecting with the word of God. His spirit recognized the word of God, but he still had blinders over his eyes and blinders over his heart. Even though Jesus came, the Bible says, to tear the veil from top to bottom so that we could all have access, there's still a veil over his heart and a veil over his eyes because the Jews are waiting for some warrior-like you know, person to come and destroy all of their enemies militarily where, so they're, so they're looking for a soldier to come, so they missed their savior because he came as a servant. They were thinking soldier, but he came, he came as a servant. And he's right there, he's right there in front of them. They're reading the scriptures. We're in the places, these holy places, and they miss it. And there's, there's 300 prophecies with over 400 characteristics, 40 of them just about the life or the, the birth of Jesus that they would have known, that he would have known, that he would have read about in the Old Testament, yet he missed it. He missed it because they're so religious and they're so steeped in tradition. And I, I looked up um, Jewish in the, uh, in the dictionary or looked it up on, online and said, is, is Jewish a religion or a culture? And it said, yes. <clears throat> like it's both. Like it's so steeped in their culture, it's who they are. And so they're, so they're so traditional and they're so religious, it's actually who they are, generation after generation after generation. And uh, they've made their religion, their tradition, their master, and so they've missed the Messiah. They've missed the Messiah. They're still servants of the law trying to do things the right way, trying to pray the right directions, trying to wear the right things, trying to do their hair the right way. I mean, it's, it's crazy going to the wailing wall and watching how they pray against the wall and all of the traditions and rituals they're doing, trying to please God, trying to, um, to live the right way. <clears throat> um, but, but, but we, sons and daughters of God, because we're under grace, we're free of that religion, but we're watching them be bound by religion. They're bound by religion, and Jesus was not a, he didn't come to make rules. He wasn't like a rule maker. He just would come and he'd build boundaries, and within those boundaries, you and I can live freely. We can live freely under grace, but these people are so bound, and not just, Jew, not just Jewish people in religion, but there's a lot of different religions that people are bound in, um, not just the Jewish religion, but they're trying to act perfectly to please God. If you want to please God, just believe him. Just have faith in him. The Bible says it's impossible to please him without faith. I remember uh, one of my buddies growing up uh, in high school was one of my best friends, this Mexican guy. And in the Mexican culture, similar to Judaism is um, the Catholic Church, the Catholicism. And it's very, um, from my understanding, very religious, very ritual, very, um, 
very traditional. And so I had invited him to, to our church a couple of times. He had come. Um, I invited him to emerge, but he wouldn't come. But then I heard, he tells me he's going to this Catholic men's retreat. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Like if you're seeking God, maybe you'll find him there, you know? And so he goes to this retreat uh, with his buddy from work and he comes back and he's telling me the story. I'm like, how was it, man? And uh, I was just believing that God would, would get a hold of him. And he says, um, he says, well, it was cool. We had a couple of sessions. We did some games, did some man stuff, you know, ate some meat. And, uh, and then we, uh, but the whole thing was like a buildup to confession. And so on the last day of the, of the retreat, they would go to confession. Where in Catholicism, you go to the you know, priest behind the screen and you confess your sins and they forgive you or whatever. And so he gets to the priest or he gets, you know, up to the screen and the priest starts to ask him questions. Are you married? He said, yes. Did you get married in the Catholic church? He said, no. Do you have kids? Yes. Have they been baptized in the Catholic church? No. So they went down this list and he didn't qualify um, uh, to be involved in the Catholic church. So the priest told him that he could not forgive him. And my buddy had a lot of sins. So he had worked up all of this courage over three or four days, come to confession only to find out that the God that they are believing in cannot forgive him. Think about the weight and the pressure you have to live with if you don't think there's forgiveness for you. And so that's called religion. My friends, that is not the God or the Jesus that we serve. Our God didn't come to set rules and make religions. He came to set you free where the spirit of the Lord is. There is liberty. There is freedom. There is grace. You can be forgiven. That's why he came, so that you can be forgiven. We don't serve a religious God. The very word religious means a person bound by monastic views. We are not bound. We are free. We are free. That's why the name of this message is Free Religion. Free Religion. And I named it that because mostly because I like one word titles. <laughs> but we are free from religion, but not totally free. There are some good ideas around religion. There are some good things about religion. So we're free from it, but we're still kind of together. Mark 7, 5 to 9 says this. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? How dare they? He answered and said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. So they lay aside the commandment of God and hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things that you do. He said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Verse 13, making the word of God, listen to this, of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down and many such things you do. So he's talking to them. They're, they're upset that they didn't wash their hands before they ate. And Jesus is like, you're missing the point. You have set aside the commandment of man for the, or the commandment of God for the tradition of men. And then it says, when you do that, when you, when you make tradition and religion your God, you are rendering the word of God of no effect, no power in your life. Mark 8, 31 says, and Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, all the religious people, and be killed and after three days rise again. 
So this scripture just echoes that when you elevate religion, religion will kill the word of God in your life. Jesus is the word. He is the word of God, and religion killed him. Religion literally put him on the cross. When you elevate religion, it will kill the power of God in your life. When you elevate tradition, it will kill the power of God in your life. And I'm not against religion. I'm not against tradition. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 says, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Say new covenant. Not of the letter of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Tradition becomes dangerous. Religion becomes dangerous when it's constricting and brings death and not life. You'll always know you're under, you're under religious spirit or under, under tradition or you've elevated above the word of God when it's constricting and bringing death, not life. I'm not against tradition. I like tradition. I think tradition is very honoring at times. And tradition will, um, and if it's, it's life-giving, it's good. I, I like the fact that traditionally we come to church on Easter Sunday and we dress up. And we wear nice dresses like Pastor Dana's dress today. She looks gorgeous. Like, I like that. I like wearing nice suits or, or, you know, dressing your best to come to church on a Easter Sunday because it, it honors God, I think. I like being excellent in church because it honors God. And so I like some traditions. I like some of the things we do at Christmas time. I like family traditions if they don't bring death, but they release life. I, I, my, I have two older sisters, and every, every Thanksgiving we go to my parents' house. All the kids come. And we eat at like 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, um, you know, the turkey, the sides, all the things. And then we play games or we go bowling, we watch football, like that's a tradition. We've been doing it since I can remember. But in 2020, if you guys remember 2020, um, I didn't want to be in California because it was restrictive and it was like, ah, I wanted to get out of here. And so Thanksgiving was, week was like a time where we could get out of here. It was, we had a couple of days off, so my wife and I are like, you know what, we're going to go to Florida, where everyone says it's so open and, and, you know, there's no COVID problems and all this kind of stuff, only to find out it was just as locked down, if not more, in Florida than it was here in San Diego, just so you know. But anyways, I went there, and, um, and but I had to call my mom and say, Mom, you know, we're not going to come over for the traditional Thursday Thanksgiving dinner. And I was kind of a little bit nervous because, you know, I don't want to be that, that family member that doesn't want to participate in the family tradition. But what I love about my mom is she was flexible within the tradition. She said, that's okay. We'll just celebrate when you get back. And so when we came back, I think it was like a, a Sunday afternoon or something, all the family came over and we just celebrated then. And so because that tradition wasn't bringing death and constraint on me, I think it's a good thing. If my mom would have said, no, you can't leave. You got to come over here. That's death. That's constraint. That's not life. That's dangerous. So tradition and religion aren't bad if they bring life. But in the church, we get so offended by the littlest things. I've heard of church splits because of carpet colors and, and, and pews versus seats. And you know what I mean? Like, like we get so offended over little things. And um, things that don't matter, things that are like morally neutral will separate a church. So the Bible says in Romans 14, 1 to 3, it says this. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. In other words, morally neutral things. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. I'm not saying, I'm not saying your faith is weak if you only eat vegetables, but the Bible is. Um, <laughs> just kidding. 
Just kidding. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them all. But whoever, doubt, whoever doubts is condemned if they eat because they're eating not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. And so basically what he's saying is there's people fighting over things that don't matter, like what food are they eating? And he's saying if you eat vegetables, as long as you're eating it from a place of faith, that's okay, it's acceptable. Or if you're eating meat out of faith, it's acceptable because it's morally neutral, it doesn't matter. Don't be religious about it. But don't condemn that person because they only eat vegetables or that person because they only eat meat. Because if they're doing it from a place of faith, it's okay. Don't sweat the small stuff is what he's saying. Don't be religious. Don't be annoying. Paul, uh, Paul says in Romans 6, 12, all things, all things are allowable for me or lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I love that, that scripture because Paul is saying like, hey, within the boundaries that Jesus built, all things are allowable for me. I can do whatever I wanna do within these boundaries and as long as I'm doing it from faith, it's okay. But I'm not gonna come under the power of anything. Earlier this year, I went on a fast and I, I stopped drinking coffee, caffeine, because I felt like it had started to have power over me. And because of this scripture, literally, I'm like, I'm not coming under the power of anything. I know it's okay for me to have caffeine. I'm not Mormon. But, but I'm not coming under the power of that. And so I had to remind my flesh who was in charge, that my spirit was in charge. And so I did, so I quit, you know, just for like 15 days. And then I'm back. I don't, I don't want to be called a quitter. So I'm back. <laughs> I'm back. But uh, I can remember in the early days of the church, there was a, a family that left our church because they saw pastors in restaurants having a glass of wine. And let me just tell you, you want your pastors to live the same out there as they are on this stage. I know a lot of religious people that do a lot of things behind closed doors because they don't want to portray uh, a behavior that they actually do. So anyways, this couple leaves because, or this family leaves because they saw pastors drinking wine in a restaurant. And that to me is religious because they're, they're uh, manipulating a scripture or twisting a scripture that says, do not tempt your brother and cause them to stumble. And it's talking about food and wine or whatever. And if, if, if somebody's walking by a restaurant and they see me and my wife having a glass of wine and that causes them to stumble, that is not my problem. That is their problem. And I'm happy to help them with their problem if they want help with it, but don't put that on me. Now, if I invite you over to my house or if I go out to dinner with you and I, and I know you struggle with meat or vegetables or wine and I'm trying to get you to have that or I'm having that in front of you and it's caught, then that's my problem. But don't be religious about it. Don't try to twist scriptures because you don't have the faith to eat or drink what somebody else is, even though it's morally neutral. Don't try to condemn somebody else or judge somebody else. Just don't be, don't be religious. Do everything unto the Lord. Jesus didn't, didn't, didn't ask us to do a lot of things traditionally or ceremoni ceremonially, but one of the things he did ask us to do is communion. He said, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so when you have the bread, when you have the wine, do this in remembrance of me. So you can remember the power of what Jesus did on the whipping post and at the cross. Now, we do communion every month in our church on a Sunday and on a Wednesday. But if you, if you recognize the fact that we have people coming up to share around communion, testimonies, 
because even communion can become religious. And if it becomes religious, it loses its power. But if you have somebody coming up here saying a, a story about communion that can put faith into you and remind you that when you do this, remember it, yeah, but don't do it religiously. Like we do communion, but we don't do it religiously. My daughter had a fever last week, 103.8, and so my wife and I did communion, prayed for her, laid hands on her, and then her, her, her temperature literally dropped to 101 like immediately, and then she went to bed and she woke up, she was fine the next day. And so we do communion. But, but I don't do it religiously. If, I, if it's religious, I just won't do it. It's like it has no power. I want it to have power. When we have people come up here and share around giving, tithes and offerings, like Jolene, we have for people share testimonies. Why? Because we don't want to give religiously. We want it to have power. I want it when you give tithes and offerings to have faith behind it. Don't just do it religiously. You're missing out. So we don't do things religiously. We do things by faith. My, um, my wife and I were counseling this couple I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, and he was Muslim, she was Christian, and they were having problems in their, in their marriage, as you can imagine. Um, Muslim's another religion where it's very steeped culturally and generationally. And so this, 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 the husband knew that the things that were happening in his house were not right. There was demonic things happening in their house because they had, they had invited in a wrong spirit, and their kids weren't happy. The, the family wasn't happy. They were on the verge of losing their marriage. And so we had them over to our house. We're sitting across the table from them trying to counsel them. And I asked this gentleman with his wife sitting right next to him, I said, are you telling me that things are going on in your house aren't right? Yes. Um, when you come to church, you think things are, the, the things that we're teaching are right, they're biblical, they're life-giving? Yes. Um, okay. Um, you're, but you're not willing to forsake your religious beliefs, even though you know it's not correct because you don't want to dishonor your father. And you're going to risk losing your wife. Said it right in front of him and his wife. And he said, yes, I am not willing to forsake my religion, but I am willing to lose my wife because I will not dishonor my father. And so what happened was religion killed his marriage. They end up getting, getting a divorce. They have kids and everything else. It was a mess. But he would not release his religion and his tradition because he has made his tradition and his religion an idol by God. Colossians 3.3 says, For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall, have, shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. And so in Colossians saying, when you die to your own self and you're born again in Christ, your old person is dead. Your old person is dead. Now you are under grace and you are hidden. So when the devil roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, he can't devour you because you are hidden in Christ. He can't see you. He doesn't have access to you because you are hidden in Christ because your old self is dead and now you are alive together with Christ. Romans says that if you are under grace then you have dominion over sin. But if you are under law, sin has dominion over you. And so when you get into grace, you're hidden in Christ, dominion over sin. When you come into law, you're outside of grace, and now you're subject to sin and being bound by, by religion. But we are under grace. And the grace that we are under should motivate you and I to be righteous not motivate you and I to go sin. So if you die to your old self, the devil can't tempt you. 
Because the devil can't tempt a dead person. He'd be like going to a, to a casket and saying, hey, dead person, do you want to smoke a joint? He'd be like, no, nah, he's dead. He can't tempt that person. They're dead. So when he comes to you and you are now born, uh, born again in Christ and he tries to tempt your old person, you're like, that doesn't even affect me. That person's dead. Dead people can't look at pornographic pictures. Dead people can't smoke joints. Dead people can't be addicted to alcohol. Dead people aren't fearful and anxious. That may be your old self, but your new self is not that. Because they're dead. No effect. Devil, you have no effect on me. That person is dead. Behold, all things have become new. I was praying for somebody the other day, and I was declaring over him who he is now. He's not that person. That person is dead. But the devil comes and tries to accuse you, and if you accept that uh, accusation, you step out of grace, and now you are subject to, to the devil, to that shame and to that guilt. So you got to get back into grace. you got to get back into grace because that person is dead. I love Jesus because he was so unreligious. Like he would just do stuff just to mess us up. Just so that we didn't get into this law making or making laws or making processes or making different religions that that's the only way things could happen. So he would just do things all, all over the place. He would often be in his assignments, but he would be flexible within his assignment. Most of his miracles were interruptions. There was like blind Bartimaeus, Jesus is on his way. He's on assignment, and blind Bartimaeus is yelling at him. His disciples are like, shut up, blind Bartimaeus. And blind Bartimaeus says, you shut up, Jesus, son of David, come and heal me. So Jesus stops, goes, and heals him. He's flexible even with his, in his assignment. He wasn't so religious that he couldn't reach out to people that were in need. There's a story in Mark where Jesus took a mute and a deaf person, put his fingers in his ears, and spat and touched his tongue. And the guy began to speak and to hear. I don't think that's very religious. I think the religious people would have freaked out about that and saying, Jesus, what are you doing? So I think he did things just so we wouldn't set these processes and make laws and put ceilings over ourselves that things have to be done the same way every single time. Like in his ministry, when he would heal people, some people he would lay hands on and pray. Some people he would just pray. Some people he would just lay hands. He would do it different ways because he didn't want you to get stuck in one particular way. He touched the lepers and healed them, where in the Old Testament you couldn't touch the lepers because they were unclean. But Jesus is a new covenant Christian just like you, and he wasn't worried about disease getting on him. He was confident that what was on him was going to get on that disease, and that's called healing. And so, that, so he would go and he would touch the lepers because he wasn't fearful of disease. He healed in the synagogue on the Sabbath. I mean, mind-blowing stuff. Like all these religious peoples would be like, you can't heal on the Sabbath, that's doing work. Like when we were in Israel, you couldn't even touch the uh, elevator button to go up and down on the Sabbath because that was work. So they just had them all preset. So you'd go, the elevators would just go up one and come down one. You couldn't even touch them. Crazy stuff, religious stuff. So constricting and inconvenient. <laughs> he made mud and gave somebody vision. He touched a casket during a funeral not the person, but the casket, and the power of God went through the casket, through the, through the garments, through the clothes, touched the person. He got healed, and he ruined a whole funeral. The guy gets up, and he's like, wow, you know, he, he ruined the funeral. He walked on water just because he could, I think, just to show that he had dominion over the water, over his creation. He was raised from the dead, and if you, were, if you were here a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday night when I was talking about how when Jesus was raised from the dead, I believe he walked straight through the stone. The stone wasn't first rolled away. 
The reason I believe that is because, number one, it doesn't say the stone was rolled away before he, when he got out. But number two, he arrived in the disciples where they were in the upper room by themselves. He, the Bible says that he arrived in their midst. He didn't use the door. He just walked through the wall. Why? Because he's unreligious. He's powerful. He can do anything. He's, gonna, he's not going to put ceilings on us in this life because he didn't put ceilings on himself. He's not bound to formulas. He's not bound to the way things have always been done. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but it also says, behold, I do a new thing. So he's always the same person, but he's using different methods. You know why? Because we have different personalities. We have different experiences. He wants to use you and your personality and you in your lane. He doesn't want you to have to do it like him or him like you. He wants you to do you. He created you to be you. There's only one of you. We can't handle another one of you. <clears throat> I played sports all my life, and sports people are very superstitious, right? Um, that's like a sports version of being religious. And so, especially baseball players. Like, people, my experience in baseball is like, pe- they would have to eat like the same chicken every day, every game. And, you know, they play 162 games. That's a lot of games. That's a lot of chicken. They wear the same underwear, the same socks, it was hilarious. On Friday night, my boys had their first football game, and my son's like, Dad, I got on my lucky underwear. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's on. <laughs> like, I believe that was going to be a good thing. I was superstitious with him. I'm like, yeah, you got your un- underwear on. That team is going down. <clears throat> Didn't work. <laughs> they got crushed. But, like, you wa- like you, if you watch a baseball game, you will see a hitter, when they come up, they do the exact same thing every time they get into the batter's box, on the on-deck circle, probably in the dugout before they get to the on-deck circle. You know, they play with their gloves the same way. They take this many practice swings. They, you know, do this however many times before they, they hit because they're superstitious. They want to do everything the exact same way based on a good game they had probably years ago. They're like, wait, what did I do that game? I did all of these things. The problem is you go 0 for 4 and you're like, crap, that didn't work. So now what do you do? What if you don't have the chicken? How are you going to play the game if you don't have that lucky chicken? That's what religious is. It's superstition. Like don't get caught up in this doing the same thing all the time because what if you don't have the chicken? What if you prayed for somebody one time and you had oil and you put oil on them and you prayed and they got healed? That's awesome but what if you don't have the oil? Then you can go to Mark 16 that says, if you believe, you can lay hands on the sick and see him recover. It doesn't even say you have to pray. Don't be religious if you don't have oil. You still gotta pray for somebody. But we get caught up in things, and we think it has to be done a certain way. And like I said, certain people have certain things that they do often because it's worked for them in the past, and that's fine. You have certain ways you pray. You have certain things that you do. Um, you know, I like this Bible because it's my power Bible. It matches my shoes. <clears throat> you know, like there's certain things that you do that gives you confidence or faith, and that's okay. If you've seen breakthrough doing communion, that's amazing. But what if you don't have bread, and what if you don't have wine? Can you still get breakthrough? Come on, as a Christian, you have authority. You can take authority in any situation. Authority is not a, not a gift, it's a position. That's a position that you hold. If you need breakthrough, take authority. If you have communion, great, use communion. Use the bread, use the wine. Sometimes as, as human beings, we can't see the Holy Spirit. We can't see God, and so we need something. We need something we can touch. And so that's what communion is. You got bread and you got wine, and you can believe God because you can touch it. You can put your faith towards something. But if you don't have the bread and you don't have the wine, you can still get breakthrough. 
Don't put yourself in a box. Jesus ain't in a box. He's alive. Only dead people go in boxes. He's alive. If you think you have to fast to get something from God, you're missing the point. We don't fast to get something from God. We fast to get closer to God. We fast to tell our flesh, caffeine, you don't have power over me. And you seek God. All these things will be added to you. Seek him first. All these things will be added to you. If all you had to do was fast to get something from God, that would put you outside of grace and into law, which would make you susceptible to the enemy. So you don't want to be in law. You want to be in grace. People get so religious about fasting. You know, Jesus only fasted once every 33 years. Some of you will get that later on. But there are no formulas or processes that are bulletproof. That's why I think Jesus did, did stuff different ways and the disciples did stuff different than he did stuff. He's alive. He's not bound by the law. He's over the law. He's above the law. However, there is something powerful about processes. There is something powerful about formulas. There is something powerful about living a devoted life to Christ. We can't be so under grace that we swing to the side where we think we can sin and live however we want to live and God's going to forgive us and we're still going to go to heaven and maybe that's true. But grace should motivate you to live righteous. Grace should motivate you to live holy. Grace should motivate you to have a relationship with God. See, when Jesus went to the cross, it was so that you and I would respond to what he did. And if we don't respond, that's still a response. But there should be a response to what he did for you and what he did for me. The response should be, I wanna serve you. I wanna be a son, I wanna be a daughter. I want a relationship with you. I want to know what is my purpose. Awaken me to my purpose. We should be motivated to live pure. The Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Living a devoted life, that should be one of our missions. And that comes with routine, and routines are healthy. We should have a routine where we read the Bible, where we pray, where we worship God, where we come to church, where we do certain traditional things that are life-giving. <clears throat> but we shouldn't condemn ourselves if we miss a day, because now you're back under law and outside of grace. Now you're no longer hidden. Now you're vulnerable to the enemy. I will confess, I'm like a month and a half behind in my Bible in a year. I'm the pastor. Oh, shoot. Is that podcast? <laughs> but that's okay. But even I sometimes will still condemn myself. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe I didn't get up early enough today. And now kids are running crazy and I got to do this. You know, we all, we all get there. But don't, but understand, that's, that's making you vulnerable to the devil. Get back under grace so you're hidden in Christ. And we can't make the excuse that like, well, I'm only human, because you're not only human. You're human filled with the Holy Ghost. So you can't say, I'm just human, da, da, da. no. You're not just human. People say, oh, well, what about Paul in Romans 7 where he's like, he's saying that, you know, he wanted to do good, but he couldn't do good. He didn't want to sin, but he, but he sinned, and so sin had power over him because he's just a wretch. That's a pre-salvation Paul. 
He's not talking about the new covenant, Paul. If he was, if he was, then the, then the scripture that I read to you that said that if you're under grace, you have dominion over sin wouldn't be true. He's talking about a pre-saved self. But when you're under grace, you have dominion over sin. It doesn't have dominion over you. Jesus didn't die so that you can be, so you wouldn't be able to do right things when you want to do right things. He died to set you free. He died, died to empower you to do the right things. But my heart is desperately wicked for people to say that. Because it says that in Jeremiah, in the Old Testament. It says, but my heart is desperately wicked. Well, guess what? When the, the Bible says that when you come into Christ, behold, all, all things pass away, all things become new. But if you say your heart's desperately wicked, guess what? Your heart's desperately wicked. It is as you say. I don't say that about me. I say my heart's renewed. My heart is righteous in Christ. My heart is pure. The Bible says that the Spirit of God came to live in my heart. How is it going to be desperately wicked? Don't get into law. Stay into grace. Stay into grace. So we should be motivated to live a devoted life to Christ. That's why I'm passionate and mention and talk about the drop zone, which is a place where you can go to get away from the noise and connect with God. Where is it that you go? Is it maybe it's in your car? Maybe it's you know, on a walk, or maybe it's in nature, or maybe it's riding a bike or swimming. Where do you connect with God? Go to that place. It doesn't matter the place, but it matters that you have a place. It matters that you set aside time to connect with God, to develop that relationship. I'm excited about my new house because I'm, I am making a drop zone. I'm developing it. I'm so excited to go in there. Because when I go in there, it's going to be a place where I connect with God. It's gonna be a holy place. It's gonna be sacred ground. I prophesy over my place. I expect when I walk in, I'm gonna lift my hands and the glory of God's gonna fall. You might think that's super spiritual. I don't care, I wanna connect with God. I wanna, I, wanna, I want a heart that's connected to Him. I wanna do what He wants me to do. I wanna know what He wants me to do. I don't wanna live blind. And it's not going to be a religious thing if I miss a day. But I'm looking forward to it. A devoted life is a powerful life. Samson in the Bible, most of us probably know who Samson is. He was a strong guy. The Bible says he was a Nazarite and he was a devoted man because to be a Nazarite, you had to stay away from wine, stay away from dead things and never cut your hair. And so... Samson was living his life and he was powerful, but he had hung around dead things and he had drinking wine at a, at a wedding. And so he had lost two thirds of his devotion. He had lost two thirds, but he was still powerful. He still had strength. And so he, he swung too far this way and he was just flirting with the world. And then he got into bed with the world. Her name was Delilah. And eventually the world manipulated him because bad company corrupts good character eventually. So he was flirting with it for so long, he gave away his secret to his strength, which was his devotion. So the Philistines came and cut his hair and he lost his devotion. And then he lost his power. And then he lost his vision. And then he lost his life. When you get away from your devotion life, you will begin to lose power, which will cause you to lose vision. And eventually, you won't have life coming into your world. 
But here's the good thing. You may be here today and you're like, man, I haven't been living a devoted life. I haven't been motivated by grace to do good. The Bible says that his hair, his devotion began, began to grow back and immediately his power came back. You can shift everything in one day. You can shift everything in one moment. The power can come back right now. The hair can grow back right now. Your devotion life can start right now. Not your religious life, your devotion life to develop that relationship with him. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet? Come on, give God a clap if any of that made sense to you. I'm telling you, one of the things about Awakened Church that I've learned over 17 years is we don't got to be bound in religion. But that grace can actually motivate you to do right, to do good things, to help people, to serve people, to love God. Why don't we close our eyes just for a minute? I'm going to end the service. But I want to ask you this, this morning, this afternoon, if maybe you're here today and you've never invited Jesus into your life. Maybe you thought he was a religious God, but now you're realizing, wait a second, he wants a relationship with me. I don't have to abide by all these rules and laws that are going to make my life feel constrained, but it's actually going to give me life. Or maybe you're here and one time you gave your life to Christ, but you've just been in like a religious routine. And today you're saying, man, I got to get back to that relationship. I got to get back under grace. I've been condemning myself. If you're one of those two people with every eye closed, can you just lift your hand where you are right now? I want to pray for you this, this morning. Is there anybody like that? God bless you, sir. Thank you. God bless you, man. Thank you. Thank you over here to my right. Thank you. God bless you guys. It's not fun to live bound in religion. But it is fun to live free within the boundaries that Jesus built. Okay, there's like three or four of you that lifted your hand. I want to pray this prayer. With every eye closed, I'd love it if you would repeat after me, especially those of you that lifted your hand. But I'm going to ask everybody in the building to repeat after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross for my sins. Lord Jesus, today, I invite you into my life, and I believe that you are the Christ, that God raised you from the dead. And today I ask that you would help me live a life that glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.